You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Hey, Shortwavers. Aaron Scott here. And today we are going to talk with Karen Chin about the incredible scientific importance of dinosaur poop. I became interested in fossilized feces when I was working for paleontologist Jack Horner. Jack Horner is the renowned Montana paleontologist who discovered a whole bunch of things about dinosaur growth and behavior and inspired one of the main scientist characters in Jurassic Park. Mutated the dinosaur genetic code and blended it with that of frogs. I learned that somebody had found fossilized feces and I thought that was just the weirdest thing. So I ran to Jack and I asked to see it. This was the late 80s. Karen was a grad student, and she was responsible for cutting into the fossilized dinosaur bones to look at things like blood vessels. So I asked if I could make a thin section of the fossil feces, and he said yes. And when I looked through a microscope, I could see plant cells that were ingested 75 million years ago by a dinosaur. And it, it, it blew my mind because I thought, Man, this is how you can learn about interactions between dinosaurs and plants and other organisms. Karen is now one of the leading experts on dinosaur feces. She's a professor of geological sciences and the curator of paleontology at the University of Colorado. And she's even the subject of a recent children's book called The Clues Are in the Poo. As you mentioned, Jack Horner was famously an inspiration for Jurassic Park. And Jurassic Park in the first movie, portrayed mountains of dinosaur dung that were as tall as a human. That is one big pile of I'm guessing that's an exaggeration, but how how big are we talking when it comes to dinosaur dung? Okay, the largest specimens I've examined are on the order of about six liters in volume, which is pretty large, a liter being a quart. That pile, when I saw the movie, I thought... That was rather humorous, but it actually made sense because if you have a dinosaur in a zoo, they're going to be producing so much dung. And what are the zookeepers going to do with it but would pile it up in one place so it, somebody could cart it off later? So today on the show, Karen Chin shows us just how much we can learn about dinosaurs by digging through their fossilized dung. Best part, we're going to get hands-on. You're listening to Shortwave, the science poopcast from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Total Wine and More. With so many great bottles to choose from at the lowest price, it's easy to find your favorite Cabernet or a new single-barrel bourbon to try with some help from one of their friendly guides. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find only at Total Wine & More. Curbside pickup and delivery available in most areas. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. It's called protein degradation, and if you're a bad protein in a cancer cell, you'd better get your affairs in order. Because now, thanks to Dana-Farber's foundational work, protein degradation can target cancer-causing proteins and destroy them right inside the cell. This approach is making a difference in multiple myeloma and other blood cancers, and is how Dana-Farber is working to treat previously untreatable cancers. More at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. Knock, knock. 
Hello, nice to meet you. I'm Aaron. Aaron, nice to meet, meet you. you. Have a seat. The first thing you notice when you walk into Karen Chin's office is that dino poops are everywhere. They're in shallow boxes covering every surface and filling up shelves, cabinets, and drawers. These are all from the two medicine formation, which is... I asked Karen to see one of the fossils that got her started. First, she pulls on some plastic gloves. And it sounds funny. I gotta protect these these feces. <laughs> but you do want to do that. And then she opens one of the locked cabinets. This is the one. I wanted to show you. She places the box on the desk and picks up a piece of petrified poop, which is officially called a coprolite. It's a word that stems from Greek and literally means dung stone or poop rock. They're kind of just look like uh, black rocks. <laughs> they don't have the sausage shape that you would expect to see of, of fossil feces. They're kind of angular, and that's... That's because, well, they had a hearty distance to fall from the dinosaur to the ground and likely broke on impact. You can see that some of them have bits and pieces of plant tissues in them. Also in them, some strange finger-shaped formations of different colored sediment that looked like tunnels or burrows of some sort. Karen was intrigued enough by the question of what we could learn from these fossil feces that she decided to investigate them as her doctoral thesis. I was contacted by a dung beetle expert in Canada, Dr. Bruce Gill. And he said, I hear you have burrows in dinosaur coprolites. Do you think they could be dung beetle burrows? And I said, I, they're burrows, but I don't think I could tell them from a worm burrow or another kind of burrow. So she sent him some photos. And when I next heard from him, he was very excited. And he said, these can't be anything else. That's because the burrows weren't empty, like something had dined and dashed. They'd been backfilled with the light-colored dirt from the ground the dung was sitting on. And then the dark-colored dung, in turn, had been buried into a burrow in the ground below. And this is very diagnostic of dung beetles, because dung beetles are the only living organisms we know to stash organic matter into burrows like this, where they would have laid their eggs in what we call dung sausages, and... The dung sausages would be the just the right size to nurture a growing baby dung beetle. And did I read that at this point we didn't actually have any evidence that dung beetles were around that early, correct? That's right. That's right. This was some of the first evidence that we have that dung beetles had a relationship with dinosaurs back in the Cretaceous. And all of this eating leads us to the question. And once you have a sample, how do you figure out who dung it? <laughs> yes. You look at which animals had bones or other skeletal things in the same sediments in which you find the, the coprolites. Then you can kind of look at their feeding habits, look at the functional morphology, what kind of teeth did they have, are there living relatives that have certain behaviors and dietary preferences. But I have to say, in some cases, we won't ever know who actually produced it or who was the poopatrator. 
But to me, when I'm as a paleoecologist, it may not be the most important thing to know exactly who produced it. If you can tell who was eaten and think about some generalized food webs in the ancient environment, you can get a feeling for what that environment was like. And this is another reason why I like coprolite so much because they're basically like receipts of transactions of carbon resources that are traveling through an ecosystem. So you just have this evidence of this ancient transaction. So this mystery is really interesting to me because I feel like when we go to a museum or watch a show like Prehistoric Planet, it looks like scientists know a lot about the dining habits of different dinos, but you can't really tell that from looking at their skeletons. So is this information all gathered from analyzing their poop? Well, a lot that we infer that it appears in movies like Jurassic Park about dinosaurs are based on what we know of behavior of living animals. So we look at elephants, rhinos, and we think, well, maybe dinosaurs actually behaved like them, and they moseyed around (laughs) different landscapes and just peacefully fed on the, the vegetation. And I think those inferences, probably there's a lot of truth to them. But what I like about studying dinosaurs is that we've been finding some things that were surprising. And my, my favorite began with these same coprolites huh. I did my doctoral thesis on, in, in part, where we found evidence for dung beetles. And that was a first, so that was exciting. But about 10 years after I published that, I remember thinking about what the dinosaurs ate. Why was there so much wood in their feces? That was perplexing because herbivores today can't digest the cellulose in wood because wood cells are held together by a tough glue-like substance called lignin. But Karen was clearly seeing broken down wood in their feces. So her idea was maybe they weren't eating healthy trees. Maybe they were eating rotting wood. White rot fungi can actually destroy the lignin. And if they do that, that increases the digestibility of wood 30 to 60 percent. Because animals, there's more cellulose in there that can be digested by bacteria. So this meant these dinosaurs had been feeding on rotting wood. It was really surprising. You just don't hear of that behavior in modern animals. At least, Karen says, not in the large mammals scientists were using as stand-ins for dinosaur feeding habits, like elephants and rhinos. But then again, dinosaurs weren't mammals. They were a lot more like birds. So my hypothesis was that because we found these coprolites in the nesting grounds of dinosaurs, that the dinosaurs had to change their diet when they were reproducing. And we see that in modern dinosaurs. So birds that are seed eaters will have to change their diet to a insect-eating diet when they're getting ready to lay eggs because they have to provide protein for the yolks. And they 
also have to increase their calcium intake because they have to provide calcium for the shells. And it seemed like, boy, if you're maybe a 25-foot-long duckbill dinosaur and you suddenly need to get a lot of protein, you know, you're, you're not going to be like a T-Rex chasing after animals or anything, but you could find a predictable source of protein in rotting wood in the form of insects, crustaceans, worms, all kinds of things that would be hanging around rotting wood. So just to bring this back around, this was exciting because these are the kinds of things we can't learn from just looking at a bone. Fossil poop isn't just waste material, but when we we hold a piece of fossil poop, this is telling us about eating interactions between organisms, about recycling processes, when you have detritus that gets recycled and is used again by other organisms. So when you're holding a piece of fossil poop, that really shows us how dynamic life has been, not only today, but in the past. Karen Chin, thank you so much for talking fossil feces, dino dung, petrified poo, however we're going to call it. Thank you for for discussing it with us. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Before we go, we know you enjoy hearing about new discoveries and the science behind the headlines from us here on Shortwave. And we wanted to remind you that your financial support is what makes our work possible. Because the thing is, even though our journalism is freely available, it's not free to produce. So a big shout-out is in order for our Shortwave Plus supporters and anyone listening who currently donates to public media. Thank you. You are making a real difference. And if you're listening and haven't yet made the leap to support her, Giving Tuesday, which is an international day of giving, is next week. And it's the perfect reason to make today the day you finally join Shortwave Plus to listen to our show sponsor-free. Or you can also make a tax-deductible donation to your local NPR station, the NPR network, or all of the above. But what really matters is that you are part of the community of listeners who make this work possible. We can't do it without you. Seriously. And your support makes sure everyone can listen. You can give today at donate.mpr.org shortwave or explore NPR Plus at plus.mpr.org. Thank you. This episode was produced by Burley McCoy and edited by our managing producer, Rebecca Ramirez. It was fact-checked by Britt Hansen. Our audio engineer was Maggie Luthar. Beth Donovan is our senior director, and Anya Grundeman is our senior vice president of programming. I'm Aaron Scott. Thanks, as always, for listening. This message comes from NPR sponsor, American Express Business. Take your business further with the Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. It's packed with enhanced benefits to help unlock more business value. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news, some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning wherever you get your podcasts.